Support for NPR and the following message come from Ally. While you're working hard, is your money being lazy? Make your money work harder than ever with Ally's new smart savings tools. For all things money, you deserve an Ally. Visit ally.com. Ally Bank member FDIC. Captain Marvel is the latest entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the first one to give a woman the lead role. Brie Larson stars as a badass space warrior fighting in an intergalactic war between two alien races. Samuel L. Jackson is back as Nick Fury, albeit uh, digitally de-aged because Captain Marvel is set in the 90s. So, there is flannel, there is fighting, there is feminism. We're talking Captain Marvel on this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. Linda is traveling, and Stephen is snowed under with South by Southwest prep, so we've got a reconstituted but highly interested and highly informed panel. Here with me in the studio is Daisy Rosario of NPR member station WAMU in D.C. Hey, Daisy. Hey, Glenn. And also with us is Mallory Yu of NPR's All Things Considered. Hey, Mallory. Hey, Glenn. So, Daisy, I'm going to start with you. This is the 21st film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, So where does it slot? Where does Captain Marvel rank among the many, many, many (laughs) many. Marvel movies we've seen? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So I, I would have to say it ranked fairly high for me. But to acknowledge that 21 list of movies there um it definitely also feels like we're back in an earlier phase ah, you know it does for me feel that way because it's a little bit more of an origin story than we've spent time with. well it's very much an origin story but more than we spent time with in mm-hmm. the more recent movies especially with black panther while black panther has aspects of an origin story it's also a you know a job that t'challa always knew was coming so it's not like he's like what powers what happened you know so so while that's an origin story it's not the full-on origin story as we've experienced with some of the phase one movies and all of the crossover characters weren't really there yet except for nick fury and even then we're seeing a version of him that we had not seen yet but absolutely for me it, it definitely ranked pretty high and i also got a little bit of like winter soldier vibes mm-hmm. at times which i i love that one so yeah. that was good for me cool mallory how about you I would have to say that for me, it ranked kind of middle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it and I had a lot of fun, but it just left me feeling a little cold. Hmm. Um, ultimately, I loved Brie Larson as Carol Danvers and Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, but I felt like the emotional resonance wasn't there for me. Hmm. Um for certain reasons um, that I don't want to spoil. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. I struggled with this when I was writing the review because uh, if I say it's satisfying and very familiar, um, that sounds like I'm giving it faint praise. I don't mean that as faint praise because we have to acknowledge that there is a certain joy, a certain satisfaction in having a series of boxes that get well and duly checked. (laughs) And this film is coming along so far into the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we come into these movies with a certain set of tacit expectations. Even if we don't think we do, unconsciously these films have a formula that work on you, so you expect certain things. And when those things happen in this film, as they really do, I mean, is there a lot that's surprising in this movie? I didn't think so. But is there a lot that's familiar? Yes. I enjoyed this film. I'm probably not going to think about it a lot. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Brie Larson in the lead role. What'd you think, Daisy? I really liked Brie Larson. I think, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot since I saw it because I don't really want to get into... The specifics of like whether or not she's attractive, but I like she's a she's a beautiful woman. But I feel like so many of the movies that we've seen where like women get to be tough are these like 
insanely beautiful women like Gal Gadot is like Mm -hmm. insane and Angelina Jolie while not in like superhero movies per se kind of insane like uh, just like a next level you would notice them walking down the street like you would stop no matter where Mm -hmm. whereas Brie Larson is beautiful but like I wouldn't be on the subway being like oh my god like what is this person walking among us and so in that way she was more um accessible um for lack of a better term and also you know I think it just kind of lets her be the kind of character that she wants to be. Like, her costume and everything is not overly sexualized in the way that, you know, characters played by those other actresses I named would be. And in that sense, it was nice to just, you know, get to watch her be good at stuff without it feeling like it was about her being super attractive and good at stuff. Yeah, right. Right. And she was allowed to be angry and have emotions towards the characters, um, towards the antagonists and the villains. And I appreciated that she didn't smile when, I mean, characters <laughs> literally told her, like, you should smile. And right. she's like, I don't need to. Right. Um, and I liked that she felt really relatable. She looked like someone, you know, a beautiful woman, but someone that I could be friends with and relate to. And that made Carol feel so much more friendly um, to me as a viewer. Mm-hmm. You know, there is uh, a trade-off that this film does. Uh, it, it really improves her comic book origin, which, I mean, j- yeah. Google it. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, it is so 1967. But it also outfits the, the plot with this kind of central amnesia plot, right, where she doesn't know who she is. Mm-hmm. And what's frustrating about that is that's okay when we are like 10 minutes ahead of the main character. We are, for most of this film, we know exactly what's going on, and she doesn't. A, a large part of her ability to emote is not only kind of bound up with the fact that she doesn't know who she is, she also is just zapping people all, all the time. So it's, it's kind of hard to get a emotional heart there, or at least it was for me. Exactly. And I think that's part of the reason why I felt kind of cold toward the film. I think amnesia storylines, which aren't my favorite at all in general, are really hard to do because when you have a character that spends you know, a good two thirds of the movie not knowing who she is when you know who she is as a viewer. It's really frustrating when I'm like, I really want to see Carol just punch this dude. And (laughs) she doesn't because she's not quite Carol yet. And it's it can be frustrating when the only thing you know about certain characters comes from flashbacks and you don't get enough of those flashbacks to really feel her connection to characters like Maria Rambo or um, Dr. Lawson, um, played by Annette Bening. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Annette Benning showing up in this, in this thing. <laughs> the way that, you know, uh, Nicole Kidman shows up in Aquaman or that Robert Redford shows yeah, up in Winter, in Winter Soldier. Soldier. You're like, hey, yep. what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which... I would agree with that. I mean, amnesia is, yeah, it's just, what a plot device. But um, I think for me, the thing that kind of pulls it out from not completely working is that you do get a sense of her personality, even if she doesn't completely know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you kind of read about, you know, how humans work, like our personality personalities tend to get out there no matter what. So I like that she still amongst this other group where she doesn't know what's happening is is known for kind of, you know, getting hot real quick and just like, you know, being a little angry and like, you know, first to jump in front of things. And so I felt like, you know, there was just enough of that for me, but it certainly could have been more. Absolutely. Yeah. Had they not gone with amnesia. Yeah. yeah I mean, I really liked Lashana Lynch as Maria Rambeau, who is Carol Danvers' best friend from when she was in the Air Force. I felt like that's when the movie really started to click for me, seeing 
two women on screen together, one of whom is a black woman in the Air Force. She's a pilot. That's what I wanted this movie to be. And for most of it, it's Carol Danvers with a bunch of men. Um, And as much as I liked Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, I was really hoping to see more of her relationships with women. And I don't know if I got enough of that for for me. Well, there's two directors for this film. It's uh, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. And they wrote the script with Geneva Robertson Duare. They all come from indie films, and you can kind of feel that in the in the DNA of these scenes. The scenes that are uh, on Earth seem to work for me a lot better. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, we haven't seen Samuel L. Jackson play Nick Fury in this way, in such a much younger... And, and the digital de-aging didn't suck, I think. No, it, it, no. Looked, it looked pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he's just so uh, enthusiastic and open <laughs> and, and funny goofy. And- Goofy, right. That I think that's what I liked. He was funny. He was cracking jokes, but not in that kind of cynical, mean, jaded way that yeah. we are used to seeing Nick Fury as. And it was really nice to see a young Samuel L. Jackson being fun Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. yeah. I did believe that that guy becomes the Nick Fury that we know later. Like, it makes, exactly. it makes sense that that would be the path he goes down. Yeah, they've got yeah. his voice really down, and I enjoyed seeing that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, other MVP for me was Ben Mendelsohn, uh, who plays mm-hmm. Shock, a villain. Uh, <laughs> he plays uh, Talos the Skrull. Now, that's a little little table setting here. There are the Kree, uh, which is one alien race, yeah. and they tend to look like Jude Law, uh, or some of them are a little bit bluer than Jude Law, yeah. but, but right. they look like Jude Law. And the Skrull, who are shape-shifting folks who, as I said in the review, kind of look like a cross between Nosferatu and a Gila monster. Mm-hmm. Ben Mendelsohn plays Talos the Skrull. And when you first see him, you think, oh, he's just an evil scientist. And then the more we get to see him over the course of this film, he is doing a lot more than he gets to do in films like Ready Player One, where he plays the sniveling oh, corporate yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Or or in Star Wars Rogue One, where he plays the engineer of the Death Star or whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, he's he looks just, like perfect evil middle management. Right, like really movie. racking <laughs> up that kind of um, <laughs> superhero space movie villain roles right now, you know, just kind of ticking off those boxes. (laughs) But this film gives him more room and lets him go in places and lets lets the goofiness kind of leach through his performance. There are so many familiar aspects to this film, and I just want to know if the familiarity hurt it for you or it helped it for you. Because again, my thesis is that the reason these films work is because they're working on certain kind of pre-verbal, unconscious things that, that we appeal to. But there is such a thing as superhero fatigue. And I'm just <laughs> worried if this struck you in any kind of way. I'm kind of of two minds of this. There were certain boxes that when they were ticked, I was like, yes, I really like that. I, I'm glad that they did that. This callback to this character, you know, um, seeing Kelly Sue DeConnick's little cameo mm, yeah. um, in this movie was really exciting for me as a fan of Kelly Sue DeConnick, who wrote two celebrated runs of Captain Marvel. There are a lot of little things like that like Glenn said, the flannel, um, the <laughs> flannel in this, you know, the Nine Inch Nails shirt, uh-huh. everything about the styling, the music, some of the music choices. But then again, at some points, I felt like the box ticking was a little too on the nose. It was a little too familiar. And I was already seeing, OK, they're going to check this box at this point in the movie. Uh-huh. And I don't know if I necessarily wanted or needed that in a movie about 
a female superhero, which is exciting and new and different and should be treated as something exciting and new and different. Mm -hmm. If they make another female-led movie and they spend too much time ticking boxes, then I'll be like, come on, guys, you know? I mean, Black Widow is in the works, apparently. Yeah, way after mm -hmm. I ever needed it. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I can't help but think that, you know, a Black Widow movie or Captain Marvel... 10 years ago would have like my mind would have been blown 10 years ago and now I'm kind of like well now I want something more Mm -hmm. now I want something better Mm -hmm. Um, maybe that's it's just that they waited too long but I think 10 years ago this would have been incredible well what's coming up next before we get to a Black Widow film Mm -hmm. coming up Next month. <laughs> Next month. <laughs> is Avengers Endgame. And she is going to factor in it in some way, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. clearly. I liked how in this film there was some themes of, of female empowerment, but it didn't devolve into simple girl power riffs. They played with it without making it um, condescending or or just baity. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I have a feeling we're going to see her now in the mix with a bunch of other more familiar characters. Yeah. And I worry that she's going to get downplayed. Just kind of looking at the world that they created for her, you know, kind of the 90s is a fun time to set it in. You know, if you were not a, around as much in the 90s, you might forget that we had already had a kind of like decade of the woman then. So it oh, didn't yeah. feel mm-hmm. like too much of a stretch in that sense. It was like, yeah, like I believe that she would probably go to Little Fair, you know, like <laughs> oh, it's yeah. cool. Um, so in that sense, it was fun. But I, I am curious, but I do feel like they've created the the space for her to be, you know, really useful in that. And I, I hope that they play with, you know, kind of all of the things that her character can do. This movie made me more excited for Avengers Endgame, yeah. okay. which I wasn't <laughs> really excited about. And now I am because I think... Seeing Captain Marvel come up against, you know, Captain America and Black Widow, she is already, she has had, you know, a couple of decades between Captain Marvel and the, you know, when Avengers Endgame is going to happen, doing her own thing. I'm curious how she's going to fit into the larger cast of characters, and I'm excited for some of the headbutting and the quips and her kind of sarcastic camaraderie mm-hmm. coming through. I think that'll be really fun to see. Yeah, me too. Okay. I think we all liked it. I think we all recommend going out and seeing it. But we want to hear from you. Tell us what you think about Captain Marvel. I suspect a lot of you are going to go see it. <laughs> Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. Uh, when we come back, it will be time to talk about what's making us happy this week. So come <laughs> right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from Netflix's Contodo, presenting Brown Love, a new podcast that aims to bring together the best and brightest of Latino Hollywood to get real about the industry and all the things Latinx communities are talking about on your timeline. Each week, the show features a roundtable of Latino actors, including Diane Guerrero from Orange is the New Black and Jessica Marie Garcia from On My Block. New episodes of Brown Love drop every Tuesday. Subscribe now where you listen to podcasts. It came out of the blue one night when she was sleeping, a searing pain that jumped from one part of Devin's body to another. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? This week on Invisibilia, the surprising story of how pain spread through a culture. Our culture. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy? 
Daisy, what's making you happy this week? Well, I've got two. So um, one of them is a musician who has been around for a while. Her name is Alice Smith. I'm a big fan. And I'm mentioning her because she's on tour again. And I am thrilled to finally get to see her live for the first time in probably 12 years. She did a Tiny Desk concert last year when she Mm -hmm. was in town for a show that I couldn't get tickets to. So I highly recommend checking that out. But she's a beautiful singer and one of those musicians whose albums I just always come back to. When I'm at home, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm out of music. What should I do? Oh, Alice Smith, always a, a pleaser for me. So definitely check out her beautiful voice. And then the other thing that is making me happy that I want to mention is a book that is called How to Be Alone. And it's written by a comedian named Lane Moore. Uh, Full disclosure, I do know Lane. It's really hard to be part of the comedy scene and not kind of meet everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But she wrote a really great book that's like part memoir, part instructions on kind of how to survive being alone. She's somebody who doesn't really have, it's not just about not having a romantic relationship, but not necessarily having the support systems in your life that you need. I've just finished reading it. It's kind of essay form. I pick it up here and there, and I've related so much to her story about her getting her dog. So uh, Mm -hmm. I feel that way about my cat and also her band. It Was Romance is going to be at South by Southwest next week. So as we're missing Stephen, that made me me think of uh, finishing that book this week. All right. Give me the title again. How to Be Alone by Lane Moore. Definitely check it out. I'm definitely going to. That sounds right up my alley. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Daisy Rosario. Mallory, you, what do you got? What's making you happy this week? So I also have two. Um, The first one... One is a Mexican garage punk band called La Butcherettes. I just saw them. They're currently on tour, and they are so great. If you like weird art punk, they are for you. Um, the set that I saw this past weekend was more like Suspiria than Luca Guadagnino's <laughs> Suspiria from oh, last wow. year was. <laughs> um, that might give you a sense of of what they're like, um, but I love them and they make me really happy. And the other thing is if anyone knows me or follows me on Twitter, ER. I am obsessed <laughs> with ER. I'm currently watching the eighth season and it is bonkers. It is so bonkers and I love it. And It's really interesting as a kind of history of television because you really start to see certain cameras and effects as that technology kind of comes in. It holds up surprisingly well. Okay. And where are you streaming that right now? It is currently streaming on Hulu. Okay. ER on Hulu. As for me, uh, Gloria Bell is a film uh, that is in select theaters uh, this weekend. It's by the Chilean director Sebastian Lelio, who did A Fantastic Woman last year, won the Best Foreign Film Oscar last year. Uh, It is an English-language remake of his 2013 film, Gloria. And it is, if not a shot-by-shot remake, it's almost pretty much a Mm scene-by-scene remake. But uh, it stars Julianne Moore as a... Uh, divorcee in Los Angeles who spends her days being acted upon by the world and and being ignored by her surly uh, grown kids, one of whom is played by Michael Sarah, who can play mm-hmm. a surly grown kid very well. Um, <laughs> but she finds, every night she finds this rescue by going to a discotheque and just dancing to great 70s disco. <laughs> also with John Turturro, Michael Sarah, Sean Astin, Holland Taylor plays oh. her mom. See, it, you had the same reaction <laughs> I did when I found that out. Um, look, it, this entire movie just takes place across the, the planes of that brilliant, amazing movie star face of hers. 
And it's, you know, it's not just for gay men. Uh, <laughs> it is for gay men, but it's for the gay men and all of us. Because if you've ever wanted to slap on a rap dress and go out onto the disco floor, and at one point when you crash and burn, get rescued by Holland Taylor, <laughs> every gay man's dream. Um, man, this film is is for you. That is Gloria Bell in theaters this Friday. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can find us all on Twitter. You can follow me at G.H. Weldon. You can follow Mallory at Mallory underscore U, Y-U. You can follow Daisy at Run DMR. You can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy, and our producer emeritus and music director, Mike Katzif, at Mike Katzif, that's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides the music you may or may not be bobbing your head to right now. I don't know your life. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. We will see you all next week.